Am I now? Okay, good, good. I really can relate to that video, right? I was, I'm pretty good with a hammer, I've been told, right? No, I'm not really. Yeah, I'm really bad at it with a hammer, so uh, I can relate to that. Good morning, church. It's surely been an honor to be here with you this morning. You know, this is the week two of the Blueprint series. As I was preparing for this message, the word blueprint just kept jumping off the page. It's probably because when I was a young boy, I used to collect maps. That's kind of a weird thing to collect, right? But I used to go from town to city to, to state, and I would you know, go in these gas stations, and they give you a free map. So I had a big stack of, of maps, and I used to go through them, and I would, I would circle where I was at, and I would think about where I could go in the future. And as I got older, I also continued to use maps when I was planning a, a vacation or or traveling for business, I would use, and some of you are going to know that I've been dated on this, because you probably are not going to know what this is, but this is a, a Rand McNally Atlas. Do you all know what that is? Any of you all know what that is? Yeah, some of you, right? That's a great, this is a great tool, right? Now, I know now we have Google Maps, right? So, and I get lost every time I use Google Maps, because I got this little lady in my, I don't know if she's old, but lady in my ear going, recalculate, recalculate, right? But this map has all the highways, all the interstates, all the roads that you needed. You know, the map told me where I was going and how I was going to get there. You know, a blueprint is very similar to a map. It tells a carpenter where to start so that he will finish and construct a lasting structure. You know, I found this definition of blueprint that I feel is important for us in this, this uh, series. And it says, a blueprint serves as a model or provides guidance. A blueprint is a detailed plan or program of action. A blueprint of a healthy church. A blueprint of an intimate relationship with Christ. A blueprint of victory for all our lives. This morning, we're going to discuss what it means and looks like to be part of a vibrant small group community. Now, to get started, I feel like it's important that I give you just a brief look of where my life was just a few years ago. I gave my life to Christ on Sunday, May 4th, 2004. I believe we have an actual picture of that with my kids. What a, that was a glorious day. I mean, I remember coming out of that water thinking, man, I must be white as snow. You know, I would no longer stumble, fall, or fail. All my problems and worries would just disappear. And then Monday got there. It was like I'd forgotten it all had just taken place. But it was more than one day. It was more than one week, one month, and more than one year. My life did not change. My struggles did not go away. What was wrong? You know, I've been told once I gave my life to Christ, things would be so much different. I would have this great relationship with this unseen God. But things didn't change. Why? I mean, I believe Christ died for my sins on the cross. But here was the problem. I knew of God, but I did not know God. And I want to repeat that, okay? I knew of God but I did not know God. Chris Ward said this a few months ago, godly change is not automatic. 
It was not until I became part of a vibrant small group that I began to know God intimately and serve Him wholeheartedly. So what is community? I mean, community is not a foreign concept to any of us, is it? We all understand the idea of living, working, and playing in community. Probably many of us in the room live in a master plan community. Webster Dictionary defines community as a unified body of individuals with common characteristics or interests. However, we consider biblical community, how does that definition fit in and what does it look like? Well, I'd like to share with you two examples that hopefully will demonstrate the difference between the two. Now, we're, we're going to use this bucket. We're going to say this is worldly community, right? Now, we're going to use marbles. This is marbles to represent people. And the bag, we'll say, is some type of community organization. So as I put the marbles in the bag and I shake them up and mix them up, bounce them around, we do see that the marbles impact, you know, and, and, and ricochet off each other. But, you know, if I took one of these marbles out of the bag, it would stay intact, distinctive, and individual. And when I'd pour out these marbles across this table, they would all go off in their own separate direction. You know, I viewed community like that for many years. It was all about me, myself, and I. Now, my wife, she would just tell you I was like Bobby Boucher in the movie The Water Boy. I just didn't have the social skills. And she actually told me that last night at dinner when I was talking to the waiter. I didn't have the social skills, you know. I just didn't allow people to get close to me. You know, I felt that uh, everybody was out for their own agendas, and I just didn't trust them because I knew I was. Our next example is this going to be a biblical community. Now, this time... We're going to use grapes to represent the people. In the bag, let's say it's a small group like that we here at the harbor, okay? So as I put the grapes into the bag, and I mix them up, and we start applying pressure to them, we see something different happening. The grapes begin to break open, and their flavors begin to mix together. They begin to influence each other, and they become united as one. And when I pour the grapes out of the bag, they'll never be the same as when they first began. Were you able to see the difference? First group, the marbles stayed individual. Second group, the grapes were united and changed forever. So now that we understand a little bit of the difference of the two, let us look to Scripture to see what God's design and intent is for us in community. From the very beginning, it's clear that relationships and community are foundation of God's great epic story. In Genesis 1.26, we read, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. When God said us, he's referring to the Holy Trinity, which is God made up of three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This in itself is an expression of community. We are created to live in the community of the family of God. We were not made to do life on our own. God also tells us something very significant about community after he created man in Genesis 2, 18. God looked at Adam and said, It is not good for man to be alone. And there was the first marriage. And we hear about community from Christ before he died on the cross. In John 17, 21 through 22, 
Christ prayed. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so the world will believe you sent me. So we see community is not just some Christian teaching, but is the central working of God's purpose in the world. So where do we find such vibrant community at? Well, at the harbor, there's several areas you can get connected. There's serving teams, there's men's and women's Bible study, and there's small groups, just to give you a few examples. By a show of hands, how many of you are part of a small group here at the harbor? So about the same as last group, about a third of us are taking part of a small group, and that kind of relates to the church's numbers. About 70% of our weekly attenders do not take part of small group community. So this morning, we're going to focus on small groups and the impact that I promise you it will make on your lives. But to get started, we need to understand there's four characteristics that must be in place for vibrant community to come alive. And the first is love. So you're telling me as a guy, I have to love other people, right? So I can love my wife and my kids and my dogs and don't throw anything at me, but I can even love my Texans because God tells us to love the unlovable. But <laughs> I got a bigger group for last group. But, uh, you know, God tells us to love in the greatest of commandments. In Mark 12, 29 through 31, he says, Love your Lord with all your heart, so and mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, is to love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater. Also in the letter of 1 John, we're told as believers five times to love one another. In verse 1, verse 11, we are simply told we should love one another. So loving others is not a request, but is a command to God's people. The second characteristic is consistency. That means showing up. The early church is pictured in the book of Acts as meeting daily to encourage and worship with each other. Acts 2, 46 through 47 We see that they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now they showed up. You know, showing up is tough for many of us. Some of us may have had a tough time showing up this morning. I mean, we live in a busy world. We have very busy lives. I mean, there's so much competing for our time, our our careers, our hobbies, and maybe even that noon Texans football game. We know that comes into play as where our priorities are at. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, 15 through 16, just about those priorities. He says to use our time wisely in this evil world because our time is so very short. So I'd encourage all of us to put community on our priority list Because Scripture is clear, we're to meet consistently and build long-lasting relationships. The third characteristic is worship. Now, what is worship? Now, Rick gave a definition last week of what worship was. And worship is something that we bow down to. You know, unfortunately, that something could be a lot of things in this world, right? It could be your jobs, your careers, your possessions. This morning, we're talking about bowing down to God. Listen to what Paul tells us in Romans 12. 1 through 2. 
And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So how do we worship? Well, last week, Rick talked about the importance of corporate worship. We worship God as we sing songs and we lift our voices to Him. We worship God as we pray to Him because that's where we have our one-on-one communication with Him. We worship God as we read His words because that's where we learn who God is. We worship God as we serve others because that's where we become His hands and feet. And we worship God by becoming part of a small group community because that's where you will see Christ with skin on. Worshiping is surrendering all your life to God and becoming more like His Son, Jesus Christ. And our fourth and final characteristic is being authentic. This is a tough area for me, right? I mean, having to share my feelings, my, my failures uh, with others just makes me look weak. And I was told when I was a little boy, don't ever let them see you cry. I actually remember coming home and getting beat because I was crying, I think because a little girl pulled my hair. I can't remember what it was. But I had to live by the fear that the beatings would continue until the crying stopped. This caused me for a year to have this hard shell on the outside. You know, I'm, a, I'm an introvert anyway. And it just made it worse. We had this tree, this oak tree in our front yard. Huge oak tree. Don't know how long it's been there. Big shade area. It was just a massive tree. And one day we walked outside, and the tree had fallen over. Not because of the weather. It just had fallen over. And we looked into it. What we found out, the inside of the tree was diseased. And that's how I was. It was this hard shell on the outside, but I was dying. I was dying and broken. On the inside, James five sixteen says, "Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so you may be healed." I've come to understand if we cannot be open and honest and transparent with each other, we will never experience vibrant community. Here's another example of scripture that calls us to community that I can relate to. It's Ecclesiastes four eight through twelve. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not connected with wealth. For who am I tolling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. A miserable business. Two are better than one because they can have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. You see, I can relate to that verse because I had fallen and I had no one to help me up. You know, I had the perfect life, or so it seemed, or the hard shell. You know, at this time, my wife and I had been married for about 20 years. We are still married, by the way. We are, but about 20 years. We have, we had two very athletic children. One was in high school, college, playing sports, and I was living through them vicariously. I had the perfect career. I had successfully climbed the ladder of success 
and become a vice president at Walmart, the number one retailer in the world. I achieved what I call the three P's, power, prestige, and pay. We had cars, homes, toys. We had everything we wanted except everything we needed. And then in 2006, just two years after I supposedly gave my life to Christ, I found my life spinning out of control. My marriage was falling apart. My children were struggling. And that dream job, well, it had become a nightmare. Now, I tried to fix it because that's what I do. I fix things, right? So we went to counseling. But you know, that counselor just didn't see things my way. I read all the how to fix it books. You know, how to fix your boss, how to fix your kids, how to fix your wife. And guys, let me tell you one, that one really did not work, all right? But nothing seemed to work. I remember one morning I was, I was getting ready to go to work and I was in the closet and it just, it felt like the, the ceiling was caving in on me. I just have nowhere to go. And for the first time that I ever can recall, I fell to my knees and I cried out to God for help. And God heard my cries, and he answered my prayer through community. In the summer of 2007, a man who's become my best friend, who's become my brother, invited me to go to lunch. And during that lunch, God prompted him to ask me to join their small group. And I really thought, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to do that. You know, I tried that small group thing before, and it just didn't work out. I didn't like being around people I didn't know. So I started thinking of all the excuses I would tell him why I wasn't going to be able to join. I was was busy with the kids. I was busy at work. I was just too busy. And then I realized I had the perfect excuse. Just two days earlier, my wife had made a decision to move to Beaumont to care for her dad who had cancer. To be honest, it was also a separation in our marriage. But this was a couples group. I had the perfect excuse out. But for some reason, this man would not stop pursuing me. And after the hundredth phone call, and I don't think it was that many, Rick, but it sure felt like it, I finally just gave in. I said, listen, if you quit calling, I'll join. I'll join. It was the best decision, or one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. My life was heading down a very dark road. I promise you I would not be here with you this morning if I would not have become part of that circle of friends. Now, I'm not a theologian, or do I claim to have great, vast knowledge of the Bible. But what I do have are scars. And I would like to share with you four stories that shows or show you how community changed my life, how small group community saved my life. Listen for those four characteristics of biblical community throughout the stories. First stories, I showed up to small group for the very first time, and I will tell you, I felt very out of place. You've heard the old saying, two's a company and three's a crowd? Well, there I was by myself with six other people. And can you believe this? They were studying the Bible. You know, I mean, I didn't even own a Bible. And the closest I had come to one was in the nightstands as I traveled for business. And then they started saying that God was speaking to them. And I said, well, that's weird, you know, because he's not speaking to me. 
But, you know, I found myself saying, you know, it'd be nice if God spoke to me. You know, I desperately needed him to speak to me. See, I realized I was homesick for God. But something must have been terribly wrong with me because I could not hear anything. So I thought maybe if I prayed harder in the mornings, I'd be able to hear him. But still nothing. I thought, well, maybe if I turned off Fox News in the morning while I was praying, I'd be able to hear him. But still nothing. I finally got the nerve to ask my friend how God spoke to him. And he said most often through his words in the Holy Bible. Now, I'm not an Aggie, but the very next day I did go out and buy two Bibles. I bought this, this New Living Translation. And I bought this Change Your Life 365 paperback daily Bible. And at first, the daily readings were checking the box. I'd get up in the morning and read a Psalms, a Proverbs, read some scripture from Old and the New Testament, and then I would go out through my day like nothing happened. But you know, something did happen in that year's time. Something amazing happened in the pages of this paperback Bible. God showed up. He showed up in some amazing ways. It has now been 10 years, and I get up in the morning, and I read God's Word and spend time with my Father. I record my thoughts in my journal, asking these three questions that have become so familiar here at the harbor. Lord, what do you want me to know? How do you want me to feel? And what do you want me to do? I pray. And in the stillness of the morning, I say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And now I hear him loud and clear. My second story is one of those mornings where God spoke to me. I've been going to the small group now for a few months, and my marriage was still struggling. To be honest with you, I really saw no hope in saving our marriage. I scheduled a, a meeting with my attorney on, on Monday to start the divorce proceedings. I woke up on Sunday, and the first thing I did is I turned on the TV. And the very first thing I did was turn on that TV. And there was Carrie Shook, a pastor out of the woodlands, giving a message on marriage. Sorry, Rick. <laughs> but he said two things that really caught my attention. He said, it's better to be holy than happy because with holiness comes happiness. And then he read Ephesians 5.25, which says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. I said, wait a minute, time out. What, what, are, you, what are you trying to tell me? You don't want me to be happy, and you want me to die for her. I didn't even like her, right? So I said, well, maybe I misunderstood because it was awful early in the morning. And so I thought I'd get my Bible out and turn to Ephesians 5.25. And this time when I read it, I did hear it in a very different way. I heard Ronnie love Becky like my son loved the church. He died for her. He sacrificed for her. You know, I told God I had no idea how to do that. I did not have a clue. I've been basically raised by a single mother. I never knew my biological father. And the man who raised me was no role model. But he did teach me a few things. He was abusive to us both physically and verbally. 
He was a raging alcoholic. But he did give me my first beer when I was 10 years old. By 13, I was sharing a six-pack with him every weekend. By high school, I was an alcoholic. He introduced me to pornography also when I was 13. He was openly unfaithful to my mother. One of his responsibilities was to watch us in the evening while she worked. He would take my brother and I to meet these women, leave us in the car, and then we'd go home like nothing happened. I had my first sexual relationship with a married woman when I was 13 years old. I was a chip off the old block. And this guy was proud of me. So with a role model like this, I had no idea how to be a husband. But I told God I was willing, but he was going to have to take control. So on that Sunday, I surrendered my marriage to God. Now, I was planning on leaving the small group because I just felt too broken to be part of this community of friends. And then here it come. One morning, I was reading this paperback Bible. And I read Hebrews 10.25, which says, Let us not neglect our meetings as some people do. So church, what was he telling me to do? What was he telling Keep showing up, right? And I did that for one year. I did not miss one small group meeting. And what I witnessed were six men who loved and cherished their wives. They were honoring their marriage covenant with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They were living in the greatest of commandments. They were loving their neighbor, their first neighbor, their wives. Because of this example that these men set for me made me want to love Becky like God intended. You know, none of these guys know this. But just by watching their example, they were part of saving our marriage. It is amazing how God works. Just by consistently showing up, he stopped me from breaking his heart through divorce and losing the treasure of my heart, my wife. Next, I was faced with being authentic. September 22nd, 2010, seven years and 23 days ago. I haven't counted the hours. So you can see it hurts a little bit still. Still stings. My life would have been completely turned upside down. I just went through a major company restructure. I was sitting in a room across a new supervisor. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. And he didn't even know the business. And he looked at me and he told me, I no longer want you on my team. And as of January 2011, I would no longer have a position. You know, I was outraged. I had given this company all my heart, soul, mind, and strength for 28 years. This position, this title, to find the man I thought I was. I just went home devastating. My wife had come home to console me. And around 6 p.m. that evening, she comes walking out of the bedroom with her Bible in her hand. And I, I realized it was small group night. I told her, I'm not going. She goes, yes, you are. I, I said, no, Becky, I'm not going to go. You know, how, could, how could I face our friends? What would I say? What would they think? And she looked at me with those big blue caring eyes. And she said, that's what small group was for. Now get in the car. You know, that was just not a lot of compassion. But I did go. 
and I did share with the group that I had fallen. And after they told me they would never shop at Walmart again, just, that's just joking, okay? They demonstrated Ecclesiastes 4.11. When one of them falls, one can help the other up. You see, that morning I had fallen, and that evening I had 12 of my brothers and sisters lifting me up. One of them shared with me this verse that I've kept close to my heart all these years, and it's Jeremiah 29.11. It says, For I know the plans for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You know, God knew way in advance this day was going to come, and he put these dear friends in my life to help me get through this one moment at a time and to give me hope. You know, I have time to finish the story, but God has delivered on his promises, and he has opened doors that only he could have opened. God is good. And finally... My wife and I experienced love in 1 John 4.16. God is love, and all who live in God, and God lives in them. We've been part of our small group now for 10 years plus, and over those years we've witnessed and shared so much love, and we've developed friendships that will last into eternity. But in 2008, we found their love in a most powerful way. I mentioned earlier my wife was caring for her dad who was battling cancer. He had leukemia. In 2008, he lost the fight. And he stepped into heaven to be with the Lord. My wife was devastated. Just two years earlier, she lost her mother suddenly from a heart attack. She felt like she had lost her family and she felt alone. But she was not because her small group family showed up in such a huge way. My wife would share with me this story just a few years ago about this one week where she had been to the emergency room at MD Anderson four times. Now, her trip was not like us going from the medical center to Friendswood. It was going from Beaumont to Houston, a two-hour trip one way. It was her fourth visit. It was 3 a.m. in the morning. She was alone. She was tired. And she was defeated. And as she sat there watching her father fight for his life, and she called out to God to give her strength. And almost instantly, her cell phone went off. And she thought, who could be sending me a text message at 3 a.m. in the morning? And to her surprise, it was one of the ladies in our small group. Candace Horn. She said, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. And I love you. I love you. Her dad was soon died after that night. But the love of her friends would get her through one of the most difficult times in her life. Our friend's love for us was sacrificial and unconditional. Only a love that could be found because our friends lived in God and God lived in our friends. In one of the darkest times of our lives, we felt the love of God through our dearest friends, a love that will never be forgotten. I hope you were able to hear the four characteristics of vibrant community through the stories, through worship, 
In reading God's Word, I have developed a relationship with my real Father, and I'm becoming more like His Son, Jesus Christ, every day. By consistently showing up, our marriage was saved. By being authentic, I was given hope. In our darkest hours, we felt the love of Christ through our dearest friends. Here are three biblical benefits of being part of a vibrant small group. First, it creates friendships that are genuine. Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Thank you, Rick, and thank you, Marie. Second, it gives care that is mutually given. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in the time of need. Thank you, Steve and Jane. Thank you, Jack and Candace. Three, it develops character that is becoming Christ-like. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, iron, excuse me, a friend sharpens a friend. Thank you, Keith and Susan. Thank you, Joe and Beverly. These couples have walked with us these past 10 years. We've celebrated the victories and held each other through our darkest storms. The names of these men and women that I have mentioned are my brothers and sisters from other mothers. And I truly love them with all of my heart. Finally, I want to leave you with the three most important points of today's message. And like last week, after I pray, we're going to give you some time to pray and meditate on these three questions. So first, if you are not in vibrant small group community, what will be your next steps to get connected and make community a priority in your life? Second, if you are in community, but your group does not display those four characteristics, what will you do to be the catalyst to make your group come alive? And third, would you be willing to find somebody like I was, who was lost, who was broken, who was hurting? And change their lives like the grapes forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. And thank you for every individual that is here with us today. Lord, you tell us when two or more of your people gather, you are present, Lord. And I ask today that we, and this morning, that we have felt your presence. I ask that we feel your presence as we pray about these three questions. Lord, because you tell us we are not built and made and created to live life alone. We are created to be in part of a small group, doing community together, spiritual community, Lord. I just pray that you will touch each heart and we will honor you by living in community and use your son as our example, Lord. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.